Welcome to Reasoning Through the Bible. Today we're going to hear one of our informal discussions when Steve and I were talking about how to teach Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, there's a couple of topics that we were preparing to teach. One is that the Samaritans have believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, the church sent Peter and John to Samaria to confirm what has happened. While there, there was a man named Simon who was a sorcerer that the text says believed in the gospel. But later we find that Simon says some things that led people to believe that he, he might not be a true believer. And so those two topics, the Samaritans believing and this gentleman Simon questioning whether his level of belief was true, that gave us some topics to discuss informally. And what you're about to hear was our jumping off place where we kind of wrestled around with those concepts. So let's listen to the informal discussion, and then I'll come back at the end and wrap up and kind of give a summary. It's a curious thing, too, that they put in there that they believed and and that they were baptized, that they sent Peter and John because they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Right. But they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Right. So for me and others, too, not just me, indications that Peter has the keys, right? Because he goes and the Holy Spirit is given to the Samaritans. So the Holy Spirit's been given to the Jews at Pentecost. Now it's given to the Samaritans. And of course, Peter is there. And it's not given until, but the curious thing is, okay, well, they they believe and they've been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. So for me, structurally, from a systematic theology standpoint, if, if that's the right term, that to me, that's not the normal pattern. No, it's, I think it's a special case. It's a special and case because of Peter having the keys, right, to the kingdom, so to speak, in that he's present and the Holy Spirit is given to the Samaritans or to those people. But in today's world, we receive the Holy Spirit when we become believers. And we, and we don't have to be baptized in order to receive the yeah. Holy Spirit. Right. So, but I can see in studying this, where you have these different doctrines that come up. In fact, I heard a, a pastor, a preacher, he's a Pentecostal preacher, on Sunday mornings, and in his sermon this past Sunday, he says, you need to go out and get somebody saved, bring them to church where they will get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or he said, then will they'll get the Holy Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, see, that's the pattern that he's going after, salvation, but then the Holy Spirit's given later, probably through the utterances of tongues or something else like that, some type of another baptism of the Spirit. So that fits into their the, their doctrines. But I talk about that idea in here somewhere. There's that verse in Romans where it says, if you doesn't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. Right. And so if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian, is what I would hold. I think this is a special case 
not necessarily because Peter has the keys, but because it's the Samaritans. Right. Remember woman at the well? Yes. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Correct. And so they had a hard line. We don't go over there. Right. Oh, those people believe in Jesus too? We got to check this out. So they send the apostles, the official delegation. Right. So to me, it wasn't so much it was Peter as a person, but it was Peter and John as apostles that had to go and verify that officially, doctrinally, theologically, this is what's going on. And receiving the Holy Spirit was the sign that they needed to say, yes, these Samaritans really are believers and and in the fellowship. They'll have to have the same thing for the Gentiles in chapter 10. Right. And then after that, then subsequently, the Holy Spirit is imparted once yes. one becomes a believer or right. once, once it's found, reckoned to them being righteous. So, yes, I mean, I agree with that. So, Simon, was your question? Yeah, Simon. So, you <clears throat> have him. To me, number one, they call him a sorcerer. So, that's right. that's they identify him as a sorcerer. They don't say that he's doing miracles, attesting miracles. They say he's doing magical tricks, so right. to speak. Right. He's doing he's magic. He's doing magic or sorcery. Right. Magic arts. And then he can he gets convinced as Philip spreads the gospel and he becomes a believer. It says even Simon became what convinced to believe. Right. And he's following Philip. But then later when Peter and John come and they the Holy Spirit comes, he goes, Hey, here's some money. Can you give me some of that same power I'll, that you I'll, have? I'll, I'll pay you if you teach me the trick. Right. There's been a debates regarding well was he really a believer or was he not a believer that was one of my discussion questions was that okay what i was going to do is ask that question and talk about the different aspects and say i really don't think it's up to us to make a call on whether somebody's saved or not i think there's hints at the end that he wasn't basically because of the the type of rebuke that Peter gave him. I forget which verse it is, but the one where he's he's saying, you need to repent. Right, yes. And so the language there from Peter tends to sound like, hey, you never really repented in the first place. But I don't think we can quite go as far as to say definitively whether this guy was or was not a, a believer simply because, I mean, there's people all the time like that. And I don't think we ought to be putting ourselves in the position of saying, oh, that guy's saved and this one's not. Correct. And, and I think that we can come to what we have done in the past. We're not making the call. We're just saying, here's the facts. Here's what has come right. out of Scripture. And right. so... And you bump into people like this. Yeah. Exactly. Is he, That's is kind he of the, really is this guy really saved or not? Uh, and hard, hard to say sometimes. And that's kind of the end point is that you know there's indications he was, but yet there's indications he wasn't. You're familiar with the lordship salvation controversy from? Yes, it's been a few years now from John MacArthur. Yes, John MacArthur and the other guy was Zane Hodges up at DTS. Yes, yeah. And Zane Hodges at Al was. In fact, I knew a guy that that was in that genre that went and studied under him. Yeah. He was in a small group Bible study I was in once. And they're, I mean, to grossly overgeneralize, but they were 
Oh, if somebody says, yeah, I kind of like to be a go to heaven. Oh, yeah, they're saved. Uh, all the way to MacArthur that says, if I don't see some evidence, you ain't. That's right. basically what he's saying. Yeah, MacArthur, the, the gospel according to Jesus, that's where yeah, he outlined right. that. And, yeah, he was basically saying in that, no, you, a person has to declare right. that Jesus is Lord of their life and show that he has a yeah. changed life. Because if he doesn't show he has a changed life, then he's not really truly a believer. In, in Geisler's Systematic Theology, he had a whole chapter on this where he talked about both sides and quoted them. And where he fell down on it was uh, a changed life should be a natural occurrence. So he kind of tried to that. split the horns of the dilemma with the language. And uh, he said, a changed life should naturally occur. He intentionally didn't go all the way over to MacArthur, right. but he wasn't following Hodges either. But but the way you described it, Hodges, if, if somebody just says they believe, that's not low. That's not how I understand the lordship salvation. Well, no, was. what what MacArthur was doing? Oh, was answering Hodges. Book, he was re responding oh, I got to. You. There, I got there's you. a the easy believism. Yeah, that's the accusation against them. Right. It's a. I think they call it Grace Theological Society. Okay. Don't quote me on the name, but I knew a guy that was part of that. And he would ask questions like, okay, is Bob Dylan saved? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he would hold, yeah. The guy uh, kind of sort of wants to be a Christian. Like my mother. Yeah. My mother never talked about Jesus mm. privately at home ever. Never, mm. ever. Right took us to church when we were little kids. Right. And she went sometimes. Mm -hmm. She went part of the time. Yeah. When uh, I got up 10 years old and didn't want to go anymore, then she didn't make me and stopped going. Mm -hmm. Hit 18, my sister wanted to get baptized. She goes down and gets baptized. Mm -hmm. Never went to church ever again in her life. Never talked about Jesus. Your sister. This is my mom. Your mom did, okay. And went to her grave. Never really ever showing any evidence of a changed life. But she, okay, I want to go to heaven and I'll go get baptized. And that was the extent of it. Yeah. So the the Zane Hodges crowd would say, that's a believer. Mm -hmm. She had that 0.1% faith and as a mustard seed, and that's that's enough. Whereas MacArthur would say, no changed life not interested in spiritual stuff, never talks about Jesus, never reads the Bible, never goes to church, can't call that person saved. Right. And what Geisler would do is he'd say, something's wrong here because there we should see a changed life. Right. And that's as far as he'd go. Now, other little just FYI, I scared myself this week. Uh-oh. <laughs> I got an email yeah. That uh, one of the guys that I, that was a professor at seminary that I took New Testament from was on his deathbed. Oh, no. And, I mean, I, I didn't know the guy. I took two, three classes from him. Yeah. And those were distant classes. And, I mean, I saw him a few times in person, and I, I didn't know the man. But I, I took some classes from him and listened to the lectures and all that. So I, yeah. I kind of, I mean, he couldn't have picked me out of a crowd. But he just impressed me. Because he was just a really spiritual guy, yeah. just a deeply spiritual man. Yeah. And most of these other 
people in this program are these kind of hard-nosed philosopher apologist type, you know, that our purpose here is to really bludgeon people about the head and shoulders with facts, right? And he was this, he, he was Jewish, believed in Jesus, just had this really interesting, deep knowledge of the New Testament, and which impressed me. So I was kind of sad about that. So I pull out his the binder from New Testament one class, and I'm yeah. flipping through there, saying, "Oh wow, man! I there's some stuff in here that I forgot. <laughs> that sure wish I would have mentioned that when we were talking about it, right? You know, yeah. And so I forgot this and forgot that part, and uh, right. And so like the next day or day after something like that, I was reading in Acts, yeah. Paul, and I think it's chapter 21, where he's talking to the Ephesian elders, mm -hmm. and he says, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I did not fail to give the whole counsel of God, or the something similar to that. Yeah. And that's what scared me, because I was just in the process of realizing I didn't give the whole counsel of God. <laughs> <laughs> and so, therefore, according to his logic, could be guilty of the blood of some men. I can't right. sit here like Paul and say, I gave it all. Yeah. But then my common sense kicks in and say... But it wasn't purposeful. No. I mean, you'd be here forever. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's that. That's why you can study books over and over again. It I, might be years apart, but you, you're I, always going to get something new I ran into a pastor once years ago that said he was going to do 20 years in Romans on Sunday mornings. And well, what he actually said was the guy who taught me that I learned from did 20 years in Romans. And I think I'm going to beat that. That's what he said. I, I think I'll be dead before I get finished the book. And well, I mean, that's Romans is good. Yeah. There's other good books too. Uh, yeah. So you got to move along and right. It's correct. just, that's what spooked me. I was reading that and said, wow. Yeah. Hope I'm not guilty of the blood of some men. No, you're not. Don't you think he was referring though to persecution, earlier persecution? No, I think he's saying that before God, I didn't compromise. I gave the straight word of God, and therefore, when the teacher is held to a higher standard, a higher judgment, mm -hmm. then that he could stand before God and say, "I gave him, I gave him everything, and their blood's on their head, not on me." Can't blame me because I didn't. I didn't teach them the I truth. Didn't, yeah, you know, it's like when uh, when uh, Peter and John were before the the Sadducees, right? And I think we talked about it. They they could have said, well, you know, if we just talk about Jesus and not the resurrection, we'd probably not have a problem. So I mean, you, yeah. you, there's no indication they even thought about that, right? Yeah, no, they we're given the whole message, right? And what happens today is, oh. They don't want us to teach Romans 1. For a while, I don't know if it still is, it was illegal in Canada to teach Romans 1 that says homosexuality is a oh, sin. Yeah, because hate speech. That's hate speech. Hate speech, yeah, and there's, correct. I mean, there's, what do you do if that becomes a law? Do you, yeah. well, we could teach the rest of the Bible and not teach Romans 1. Okay, well, Peter and John wouldn't have. They'd say, whether you think it's okay for me to, what I'm to do, that's up to you, but I'm here. I have to speak the Word of God. And Paul said I gave him the whole counsel. Right. Now, I do think that there's possibly possibility that you tailor 
your messages to a particular audience sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And an example here is, is that Peter and the apostles were talking about the resurrection and that's what upset the Sadducees so much and brought them about. But when you get to Stephen, he doesn't even mention the resurrection. And of course he's dealing with the Pharisees who believe in the resurrection and he's, and he's kind of tailored his defense or his sermon in a different area. Well, so Paul, but I still, that both of them are still the yeah. full council Paul said to the Jew. I became a Jew to the, I forget how we phrased it, but, right? But the to all men I became so I could win some, and so Peter and Stephen will say Jewish things to this Jewish audience, but when Paul gets to Gentiles. Mars Hill, yeah, Acts seventeen, what does he talk about? He talks about Greek philosophy, right? But he refutes it, and where do they both end up? Jesus Christ, correct? And I think that's the kind of the point is that is that the what what is what constitutes the full counsel of God? Well, I think it would be more not so much like these these evangelistic things, although that's part of it, but like the ongoing teaching. When it says Paul's spent a certain number of days or weeks in a town, did he teach teach everything? Yes. There and you so go. it would be like us worried about hate speech or something and skip over Romans 1. We're sitting here doing verse by verse and... Right. We're just not going to do that passage. That's where it'd be compromised. There you go. I'm with you on now, that. Now, what I don't think it is is what spooked me the other day. Right. I mean, logic kicks in. It's where do you stop? I right. mean, there's, there's, there's supposedly a Puritan that did a 900-page book on about 10 verses. I mean, how, how far how far do you go? Well, you he's know? got that other pastor beat then on the, yeah. on the uh, 20 Years in Romans. Thank you for listening to our informal discussion. What we heard today was sometimes we have trouble determining whether people are true believers or not. And uh, we also heard us talk about a teacher who has a great responsibility to give the whole counsel of God and that we should not compromise any part of the Word of God, especially when it comes up against the culture. Because the Word of God truly does conflict with the culture. And it did so in the first century, and it has done so ever since, and it will continue to do so. In our conversation today, you heard us talking about a couple of different groups that had a bit of a controversy a few years back. The name of the group I was trying to remember is called the Grace Evangelical Society, and a gentleman named Zane Hodges. And it has been labeled what is called the free grace movement. And coming in contrast to that, there was a group that developed what was called Lordship Salvation, which was led by John MacArthur. And if you want to find more information on that online, you can just look up the Lordship Salvation Controversy or the free grace movement. And as I hinted in the conversation, what I would personally recommend is that a good short summary of those is found in a systematic theology textbook by Norman Geisler. And the title of the work there is Systematic Theology by Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. It's a great short summary and I think a balanced view. If you want more information, you can also look in our regular verse-by-verse Bible study In Acts chapter 8, we go through these passages in some detail.
So I hope you found that interesting, and we will continue next time as we reason through the Bible. <laughs>